Welcome back, everybody, 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 everybody. I said that seven times. You probably know why. This is the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of the wonderful Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast, the home of elite football knowledge, as well as the home of the most controversial football takes and opinions. And before we get into the reason why I said everybody seven times, please make sure to do me the, the fantastic, lovely favor of downloading and subscribing to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. We are still charging and moving through, trudging along. Think of a snowplow in, in the thick of a, of a North American winter storm. That's what I am. Just put a picture of a big Stephen Talk Soccer logo on that truck as you know it goes to you know the roads of, of slush and and condensed snow, etc., etc. That's what we are doing here, pushing along with yet another episode yet again. Now let's get straight to the thick of the action without any other further waffle. Like I always say, and it's not cap, it's true, but uh, I do have more content coming. That's the first thing. And secondly, uh, if you guys want to go check me out on TikTok as well, I've been making a lot of content on TikTok at STSFC. It's that simple. Look me up on TikTok. You'll see me there. And I have much more content that's been coming out there recently. Um, and of course, you know, I'm on all of the social media platforms, which will be in the description of this episode as always. But regardless, like I said, let's, let's not let's not delay the inevitable. Let's get straight into the real reason why you showed up and chose to listen to this today, because we are all thinking the same thing. Yes, yes, we are. And if you're a Manchester United fan, you might want to you know close your ears and turn off your turn off all the all electronics, turn off all technology, remove yourself from social media for like at least the next two or three months, maybe more than that, because I don't think anybody's going to forget this arguably ever. And uh, if you guys are wondering what I'm talking about, it was a game that took place in the Premier League fairly recently, only yesterday, uh, where Liverpool beat Manchester United 7-0 at Anfield, which was, again, a historic, historic, historic game for many reasons and a historic scoreline. We haven't seen this from, from Manchester United, and I keep saying this everywhere, since 1895, which I think in my head, and saying it even out loud to you guys, is absolutely absurd. It's insane to say that and to realize that it's been that long since United have lost by any scoreline and you were near close to this. Uh, United have beaten badly before Manchester City. They lost 6-3, I think, earlier this season. Um, and, I mean, this game is a completely different kettle of fish, as they say. Not anywhere near comparable to the uh, the loss that we see here. Uh, and, I mean, with this game overall, I just think think to myself, I don't even know where to begin. I think to begin with, I think Liverpool, people have had mixed opinions on this. Obviously, United fans have been saying, oh, you know, we were actually good for the first 45 minutes. I saw a lot of them saying that, you know, on, on social media and just on, on the, in the web and news and stuff and as a whole. And I don't disagree with that. I don't think United played poorly for the opening 45 minutes. They were actually relatively dangerous. I do agree with that that notion that they, they weren't just, you know, terrible from the minute from minute one what i will say is that i I did feel like it would only take one liverpool goal for the game to really open up now given united's form coming into this game where they think they've been beaten in the last 16 fixtures or something absolutely insane like that we're all expecting united to come back into the game with a bit more vigor a bit more purpose intent and and uh just belief in their performance and um i really do believe that we most people were thinking the same thing, but they probably too, uh, oh, you know, are Liverpool going to just, you know, crumble like they've been crumbling recently, even though they've had some decent amount of form in the game against Wolves and, you know, a, kind of a useless draw against Crystal Palace. But the Wolves game was a lot to, to go off of if you're 
from you know watching from a Liverpool perspective. From a United perspective, you know, they haven't lost a game in forever. Like I'm looking at their stats here. I literally see draw, 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 win, 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 win. Long, long, you know, win, 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 win. Long run, like absolutely crazy run. And uh this game just completely stifles that. Now, before I even get into the detail about why I think this game isn't as significant as people might make it out to be, and trust me, I'm an objective middleman Chelsea guy here. So I have no reason to be really dabbling in trying to, you know, make fun of Manchester United, especially the position that we're in this season, and even for the foreseeable, because of course things are messy at Chelsea like they always are. Welcome to being Chelsea fan. If you know, you know. I say this every episode. But regardless, um, I just want to say that Manchester United are are not as doomed and not as screwed as we think they are for after this, you know, after this loss. Yes, this loss was absolutely horrendously bad. Um, I did... I remember saying recently that they're still missing some pieces in that team to kind of keep themselves, to make themselves one of the better sides and more real elite sides in the Premier League like they used to be. Uh, I still think they're going to continue to have a great season. I don't think this result really throws them off. But to concede six goals in 45 minutes, like six goals in 45 minutes, and at one point it was it was literally what? You conceded three goals in in. Oh, that's absolutely absurd. Conceding three goals in the span of 22 minutes is is crazy. Then you had the, the span of, yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. Is it four goals? Yeah, it's four goals in 22 minutes. That That's just insane. I, I can't even believe that I'm watching Liverpool Manchester and I was in such shock, such belief. Now, the real reason that what you guys probably want to know is why did this happen? And now, what I, the reason why I think this happened is many, many things. Uh, I think Liverpool have a psychological edge over Manchester United. I think they've had that for some time now. If you look at their previous fixtures when they played each other, I think that Liverpool always found a way to kind of make themselves more and more of a threat to Manchester United's belief that they can win any game. You look at their previous head-to-head fixtures, I know United won in the reverse fixture of this this uh, this season, but Liverpool typically they typically really really batter Manchester United. You look at the last result; it was four nothing at Anfield last season. Then you had a five nothing win away from home for them last season as well. Then you had a four two win two seasons ago uh, at Old Tra- at Old Trafford. Then I mean they lost an FA Cup to Manchester United three two, and then after that it was a nil nil, then a two nothing. But all the more to say. United haven't scored a goal at Anfield, I think, since 2018, which 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 is what which is which was with English with Jesse Lingard. And when you look at that game, which is a 3-1 game that Liverpool had won that day, that was just <laughs> oh my, it, it, it's it's insane to think about. And you fast forward to 2023, and Liverpool still have that same you know that same hex or voodoo or that same extra bit of class over United, their biggest rivals, which is why this result is even more surprising because we've seen Liverpool beat teams this season by nine goals. And the fact that this game didn't have any red cards, didn't have any, you know, it didn't have any penalties in it or something, you know, outrageous happened that caused it or a key injury to a very key player like, I don't know, the hair getting injured or whatever it is. The fact that it didn't involve any of those factors coming into the game, it just shows us it shows us that this result couldn't be more well-deserved. I mean, Liverpool looked like a different breed. And we've seen Liverpool do this in years past. They, they're they known for opening the floodgates, and they're the counter-attacking kings. That's the one thing you can notice from the game. In transition, United got destroyed at least four or five times, and they conceded at the same goal at least two or three to four times. And what that, again, showing is United's inability and almost lack of self-confidence or confidence in the ability of the team to stop the same opportunity from reoccurring was just, it was so apparent. And we know that, we're, you know, I'm hearing it, Ten Hag is a mentality monster. And to be fair, United have done a really good job recently of keeping that good mentality. Even when they go behind in games, they often find a way to muster something from the, from the game for sure. But this game was not that at all. I mean, 
the Gakpo goal to begin with, the Monaco go through every goal, you know, goal for goal like that. The ones that are kind of pointing out to me. But the Gakpo goal that started this whole thing off in the first half, what a brilliant ball from Andy Robertson. I have to say, I'm not a fan of Liverpool. I don't rate Robertson that highly either, to be very honest. But this was, he had the game and a half. That He was classic. People are saying he should be man of the match. I thought he was extremely impressive. I thought he had a very, very good game. And the ball to find Gakpo to open the scoring for Liverpool was, again, it was just testament to how, how much quality he gave Liverpool in this in this fixture. Gakpo's finished again. Gakpo, I mean, he's a player who you know was supposed to be signed by United for Eric Ten Hag, and <laughs> for him to play for Liverpool against United in you know big game and United coming on a really good run of form. Liverpool kind of stumbling recently. For him to just silence up the whole crowd and not the crowd, obviously, I think an anthill, but silence up you know the the, the doubters of what Liverpool what he's capable of, and just what a brilliant finish that was to make it one nil. We go into the second half now, and Darwin Nunez is scoring, yeah, and I mean Nunez is such a weird player because. He's someone who gets so many opportunities in games and is often in the right position, but just finds himself missing the chances on a consistent basis. Now, with Nunez here, he was finally put himself in the right areas, case in point with the goal he scored to make it 2-0, and a good ball from Harvey Elliott, who, again, I mean, every Liverpool player played well, but Elliott as well, a player that I'm not very fond of, but I'll be honest, on a typical day, I would never be picking up Harvey Elliott. I think he's overrated in my opinion, but he had a very good game in this game. Again, another player who completely bossed that midfield. And by the way, since we're on that topic, before we get to the Nunez goals and so on, I thought Fabinho in particular, he had a decent game. And I remember saying to myself, the only way Liverpool will come away with any sort of result is if they win the midfield battle, first of all. And if Fabinho, their central defensive midfielder, which you guys know me, I'm a merchant for that, you know how important that is to the, to the engine room of the team. Uh, if he didn't play well and if he didn't you know, stamp his authority and, and cut out the chances that United were trying to create and you know, just simply be a nuisance and be the defensive presence we know he's supposed to be in midfield. You, you know, Liverpool would have been walked all over probably and Rashford would have scored at least two or three goals, hitting his finger to his skull celebration like Nunez did, funny enough, um, and, you know, cooking Liverpool. But the fact that he had a decent game and Elliott as well had a really good game, even Henderson had a very good game. And these are players that, let's be real, Liverpool fans will tell you the same thing, or they're not the most fond of all the time. They don't always turn up, and they often have been the weaker points in this team this season. But Nunez scoring that goal was just, again, with Nunez and Gakpo getting on the score sheet, the new signing, getting that new blood into the team, and adding that sense of life and purpose. I just, I didn't think it was going to go to seven, but I said, okay, two, maybe three. I knew the game was going to start to really open up. I said, you know, United didn't even come out of the dressing room uh, at halftime. And it just showed more and more and more with the goal again with the third. With the third goal for, you know, Cody Gakpo, with this goal was class. Now, this goal, for me, is the goal of the game by far. By, or no, second goal of the game or second best goal of the game. But this goal was crazy. This was just absurd. This this little composure, this, you could argue, Anthony Martial, which is the you know, United player, as composure. It was just so cool, calm, collected, and like ice in the veins, they say, just it's like he's in his own world, just ready to do this simulation version of him and the keeper in the backyard of, you know, with him and his friends. And he does it over and over and over again until he gets it right. He got it right in this game in the first try. It was such a, this is one of the best goals I've seen. It was a really, really good goal from Gakpo. So much uh, class personified. And we know he's a great player. I was a bit doubtful at first because I didn't know how, you know, Dutch players, Dutch league players never really move me when they go to the Premier League. I'm always skeptical, but he definitely has, uh, he will continue, I think, to be really, really impactful for Liverpool because they never get their forward signings often wrong. They're very good at recruitment in general, but especially for players who play up front. Um, so Gakpo makes it 3-0. Then we go on to Mohamed Salah, who makes it 4-0. Now, this goal was the real dagger. When you see this one go in the back of the net, and I mean, big up to Mohamed Salah, by the way, because he's, for me, I mean, 
Again, not a Salah fan. You guys know me. I don't like most Liverpool players. I'll be real. But Salah in this game was... I'll use the word. I will say he was world class. I will say it. I will put my hands up and say he's world class. Still not my boy. I will never rep him. I will not don and I will not, you know, I will not be saying, oh, he's the guy, bro. He's the GOAT. I won't be saying that. He is a Premier League great. I think that's objectively the case now. The amount of goals he's scoring and the fact that he's just broken, you know, Robbie Fowler, who's Liverpool, who was Liverpool's all-time top goal scorer record and been able to do that in such comfortable fashion the way he has. I mean, he has to be considered that. The way Trent put the crown over his head when he scored, I don't know, I don't know if it's this goal or the second one he scored, but seeing him do that just shows everyone how much we know how good he's been. You know, he's such a prolific, prolific goal scorer. He's taken his goal scoring ability to obscene levels, like really, really impressive levels. Uh, I thought his playmaking in this game is also very, very good. It's something that needs to be highlighted. And for him to slap it into the back of the net, like, I mean, me as a, as a neutral, just made me laugh. You know, I was shamelessly laughing. I was like, yeah, this is just a real nail in the coffin and Salah scores a goal like that. You know, they go Nunez scoring a fifth goal and make it 5-0, which was a really good header, actually really, really good header. And then Salah making it 6-0. And when this goal went in, I was like, okay, they, now the game is definitely like, you know, United are done for. Uh, they took off, obviously, but before this, they just they had taken off Lisandro Martinez. They took off uh, Casemiro. Which, let's be honest, those are two United's most two most um, lockdown esque defenders alongside Varane, who again I'm not really moved by, but United fans tell me he's the greatest defender they've ever seen. And uh, I mean, when you see the sixth goal go in, your sixth goal, you're like, okay, Liverpool really can't lose, right? Not not only they can't lose, of course they can't lose six nothing. Come on, Steven. But they really, really can't. They can't. The ball can't go any more in their favor than it is because the ball keeps bouncing their way. Even the offside that was initially ch- uh, checked on this goal on Firmino was then given in Liverpool's favor. It just it just felt like it was never going to end. Then we literally well, we literally go five minutes later, and then uh, Roberto Firmino, who came off the bench, and made, you know people are saying this is going to be his last goal for Liverpool. Who knows? He might play again and score again. He probably Probably will. It's, it's Firmino is a great player, but not only that, it just kind of symbolized and signified how great the night was getting for Liverpool. Could it could it could it get any better than that? It really couldn't have. It really really couldn't have gotten any better than that. Like the way that it just it just all capitulated in one instant, one moment. It was just absolutely obs- in, insane. Now the good thing for United fans is they only drop three points. They don't drop seventy four. They don't drop sixty. You know, sixty eight points. Whatever. They don't drop fifty one points. One hundred twenty five points. They only drop. Three points. And then from my perspective, it's not that deep, this result. Let's be real. It's not that serious. But for morale, for, for morale it might be a bit more damaging than we think because we're seeing players on the bench, you know, hiding and, 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 uh, and not, you know, not wanting to be seen on camera. Almost, I mean, Rashford's face after the sixth goal just tells you everything you need to know. If you didn't see it, then you see Rashford, you know, a picture of Rashford or on the screen, basically, you know, like in trembling and almost in fear and tears because of how poor the result was getting. Um, and I mean, for United, like I said, uh, I think they got a bit ahead of themselves in this game, in my opinion. And I feel like they overestimated or underestimated their opposition because of the form they're going into the match. Yes, I know it's a game against Liverpool. Yes, I know it's their biggest rivals. Yes, I'm aware that, um, of course, they're going to turn up for the match no matter what. But I do think it became clear to me that, uh, you know, Liverpool were underestimated by United, especially in the second half. I don't think United realized what they were coming up against once you gave Liverpool a bit of an, you know, you, you give them an inch, they take a, they take a whole, what is a whole, what's, what's a, they take a yard. Yeah, that's the expression. And it just, it was just showing me exactly what I needed to know is that uh, it was clear that 
yeah, you know, Liverpool are going to continue to trounce them going to the second half. United had chances. That's not that they didn't. They did have chances in the second, in the first half, and even second half for Rashford to somewhat make the game a bit more respectable. But it would have been only consolation, I think. I think Liverpool would have continued their great run. But that's all my thoughts and opinions on the game. You know, I thought it was a really good game of football. I literally, my jaw literally dropped when it reached five. Five, I was like, okay, this is crazy. This reminds me of uh, of Old Trafford last year with Ole. Then we see we see six or was it Ralph, whatever whoever the manager was. Then we see six, and I'm like, okay, six is really bad and then we see seven and i'm like okay we're reaching territory of worst loss in premier league history right now you know especially in the fixture of this of this magnitude and i'm like geez like i don't even think united can recover from this there's no way north united will ever beat liverpool by a scoreline anywhere near close to this never and maybe i'm wrong maybe come back to this in 30 40 years and say oh Stephen, you're wrong but not in the foreseeable future we're probably not going to see that again but anyways let's move on Two, when we come back to the oil classico, Manchester City versus Newcastle United, and as well as obviously Arsenal and Reese Nelson, doom, 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 all of that and more when we come back on the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, onto the oil classico, yeah? The most rich clubs in history of both the Premier League and also just in football alongside, of course, Paris Saint-Germain, who want to make a, an MMA football, boxing fighting team with uh, Khabib, I believe, as part of the you know the main stakeholders in that. That's absolutely insane. You know, football becoming a PSG becoming an entity much be much bigger, much larger than just the main sport that they're meant to be known for, which is soccer. But anyways, or a classical featuring the other two teams that are also going to become probably you know a multifaceted uh, enterprises and companies. Manchester City two, Newcastle United nil. Really, really good game of football. I didn't give a takeaway for the Liverpool versus Manchester United game. I think the takeaway is that you know Liverpool are definitely going to improve from that result really quickly. And I think from Manchester United's perspective, I do believe that you know this result won't be that terrible. If they can bounce back against Southampton and against Betis and Southampton, I think, which I think they will, to be honest, I think they definitely will. I think they'll continue to be on the right track, especially with Den Haag, who seems like a manager who does not take uh, losing as an option in general, obviously, barring the game, <laughs> funny enough. But in general, he's known for keeping his team in steady, steady uh, paces. So I think he's going to stay that way as well. But back to the game, the oil classical. It's going to go, oil classical now. And again, one team clearly better than the other. Uh, Manchester City still proving their worth in the Premier League time and time again, season after season. I don't even know what motivates them to want to play Premier League matches anymore. They might just ask to resign at this point. Like they, they're, they're, they're almost on par to win. It feels like every game of the season that Manchester City are going to win except for maybe four or five. That's it. Which is, means 34 games of the season, they're either drawing or they're going to win. And if you put it up to those statistics, that is literally... That, that, it doesn't even make any sense at, at this point. It's like, what's the point of even having them as an as an entity? They might as well just go into join, go join a different league in a different country and set up set up camp in like I don't know in Spain or something. Play against Barca and Madrid and other the Spanish teams. See what they could do there. And they probably would cook there too. But that's literally a ninety percent win rate in a season. Okay, let's go maybe thirty two out of thirty eight. That is eighty four percent of the time. City are either winning or drawing in the Premier League on average a season. What's their current record right now, Manchester City? Yeah, it's probably something stupid. It is 18 wins, 4 draws, and 4 losses. Yeah, that's my point. That's, that's 4 points there, and then 12, 16 points. Yeah, it's it's not it's not bad. I mean, it's not up to the standard. It's not the greatest, obviously. They've done worse than they have in previous seasons. But they still look like Manchester City on, on sometimes on their day. And again, Phil Foden showing us, 
you know, the class that we know he has, he's been on form, of, you know, it's almost, it's untouchable form. He's like God on, amongst men right now, Phil Foden. And this goal was literally Messi, you know, reincarnated in an English form. And I don't like comparing Foden to Messi because I know there's levels to this. Of course there is. But the way Foden's able to glide past defenders, same little jinky, jinky left foot movement where he kind of shrugs off defenders and does his little body feint where he beats the man simply by looking at them and going in the opposite direction is something I've seen from only one other player that I've ever watched play the sport. And I'm, again, there's much, again, there's levels because, of course, Messi's one of a kind at that. That's his really, he is the Don of doing that, of course. He does it on a, on a basis that that's... Uh, you know, 10 times on Sunday and, and then, of course, every every other day of the week. Foden might do it maybe two or three times of the week and maybe one time on Sunday, you know, if he's feeling, if he's feeling a bit glee. But in the 15th minute, uh, Foden makes it one nothing to Manchester City. Really good uh, goal from him. Like I said, excellent, excellent uh, dribbling uh, display from him. Lovely, lovely finish. It's actually arguably one of my goals of the week. I really enjoyed it. And then the Bernardo Silva goal in the second half, which I thought was even better, actually. For me, this could be my goal of the week. Again, a great pass from Erlen Haaland, who's not known for his playmaking ability. Nobody ever claims Haaland to be great with his feet in terms of distribution and looking to pick out a pass and find the next man and look for the how to stretch a back line. But great ball to find Bernardo Silva, who did the best he could and did the most well-improvised finish I think we've seen all season. He loves a goal like this, Bernardo Silva, who hasn't scored a goal in ages, and he finds himself in a score sheet now with a really cheeky finish and at this time Newcastle was actually coming in and creating some opportunities it wasn't like they were completely down and out but uh, I mean the XG in this game was very low for both teams 1.34 for Manchester City and 0.43 for Newcastle with five uh, shots for in total for Newcastle 11 shots in total for Manchester City two big chances for City and one big chance for Newcastle and I mean Newcastle missed their one big chance City scored one of the big two chance one of their one of the two big chances that they were able to create and overall the game was pretty even, I'd actually, I would say. City had, you know, obviously more possession, more passes, but Newcastle weren't too far off that. Now, the difference is that with Newcastle, the quality they have in certain areas, it's obviously much less stacked, much less gifted, as you would see in Manchester City's team, who literally look un- unstoppable, you know, with every great player, the best player you could think of in a position, really. I mean, barring Ake, who, again, I'm not the biggest fan of. You compare him to Zinchenko, who literally looks like the best left back in the league this season. There's levels to this, again. But Ake was good in this game. I'll give him his credit. But I, I think that's maybe City's only real weakness in the side. Um, really good game from City overall, though. Like I said, to pick up this result is, is excellent. They need to keep this run of form. And they need to keep up with Arsenal, who we'll get to next. Because, you know, things can get kind of sticky for them. But I don't think City are a team to drop off and be afraid of who's ahead of them in the table. They've had Liverpool ahead of them. They now have Arsenal ahead of them. I don't think they're nervous about that just yet. I think the game against... Arsenal at the Etihad will be what, for them what they're really licking their chops for and waiting for to see, you know, can we really capitalize now and see if Arsenal can drop some more points, which we'll get to right now in, you know, Arsenal and Reese Nelson FC versus, uh, I don't even remember who they played against, against Bournemouth. And I mean, I saw someone say something really, really interesting. I thought this was very true. The Arsenal fans were celebrating this 3-2, which again, it was very, 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 very impressive win given the circumstances of being behind 2-0 and literally conceding a goal in the opening 40 seconds of the game. And to come back and win was very, very uh, respectable and, 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 and noteworthy. But we saw Tottenham do the same thing. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, if Arsenal are just doing what their North London, North London rivals can do or did already this season, this obviously this being a home, which makes it really easier for them, is this result really that impressive? And I mean, it is, given the fact that it was going to be the last kick of the game for Nelson. It was much beyond the stoppage time that was allotted initially. And it showed that, you know, Arsenal were going to be resilient and never going to let the ball stay, you know, unshot un, un or unstruck or whatever, untouched, whatever the word is, 
without them trying to score at least carve out one more chance to get the winner as opposed to just settling for a point which even then would have been again respectable given the fact that they were down two nothing at one point in the game and if not for 57 minutes or one nothing for one for for 56 minutes and then two nothing uh, from this 50 uh, from the 57th minute onwards to the 62nd minute which is when thomas Partey had uh, had the deficit but what i want to say is the fact that if spurs can can overcome a deficit against this clearly but you know destined to be relegated Bournemouth team and Spurs have been shocking this year. We'll get to them next too, actually. If they can do that, uh, Spurs, then the Arsenal can definitely overturn a deficit against Bournemouth. Anybody can at this rate. Hell, I mean, if Chelsea are beating you, bro, you know it's over. Chelsea beat Bournemouth only a couple weeks ago, and we have been shocking all year. And if we're doing that, then you know damn well that Arsenal really, the, you know, the league leaders, the guys who are really setting the tone this season, they should be doing the same thing. And they did so. Uh, like I said, Partey on the score sheet, and he saw Ben White, Benny Blanco. I think it's his first goal for Arsenal, if I'm not mistaken. Is it first goal? I think it is. I think that's the stat that I saw. Uh, good goal from him to make it 2-2. I thought that, you know, Arsenal really, really about to create these chances. Reese Nelson coming on, to, you know, literally a minute into coming onto the game, making an assist for Ben White. He clearly is the man of the match for Arsenal. He has to be. To score that goal, I don't care what Bot Mob says, to score that goal and come on and then score the winner in the 97th minute after six minutes at a time is insane. It's insane. It was really such a... I couldn't even believe it. I was like, there's no way this actually happened. I thought this was some sort of like, you know, dream world Arsenal living in so they could say to themselves, yeah, we got a three-pointer from Reese Nelson who scored from a, a corner kick when the game was over. And, they, you know, the referee just allowed it because he wanted to go back to let Arsenal win the league. Something stupid like that. Like a weird... I know, I know that sounded random, but that's the point. But uh, the ball comes out to Reese Nelson. Last kick of the match, basically. It finds its way to... Uh, to him, and he absolutely lashes at it. On the weak foot, too, it was just such a pure volley. Like, it just it felt like a FIFA goal or something you'd see in, like, Pez, like the new e-football that you play all the time now where the shot looks like it's completely, you know, like it's it's never going to go in, and then, then all of a sudden it does go in, and it like, makes the net, like, go, like, the net, the net, um, <laughs> the net, itself ripple and go up towards the stanchions of the stadium and it kind of like moves weirdly and pushes up super high when it normally you know the ball goes into the net it kind of just hits the netting and then it drops down but this strike it felt like it was going to go through the net and then keep going flying into the into the stands that's how well struck it was and it's a great way to win a match great for morale great for 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 confidence for belief for a sense of purpose urgency in arsenal's game and then just personifying what they've been doing all year, which is continue to charging down this this Premier League title. So we'll see what they can do. I'm still not entirely convinced, like I said. I mean, things are looking more and more rosy for them as they now have 12 more games to go, Arsenal fans. So you know, strap in and see what you guys can do. Things are going to get interesting now, though, for sure. I mean, they've done well with Gabriel Jesus, and he should return in the next month or so. So we'll see how he can impact their things for them. Trossard has been a great signing so far, for sure. He definitely made an impact. And uh, I feel that... Um, We'll see the best of them when they have to play sporting in the Europa League and they have to play more fixtures on a more regular basis. I still think they've had so much time away with this weird World Cup season and weird, you know, Queen's passing season and just all this time off and international break here. It's just been very strange with this lack of consistency in the schedule. We're getting that now. What The whole season has been very, very up and down, stop and start. But uh, we'll move on to their North London rivals, which I love doing in this transition on this, on this podcast. Moving on to Tottenham versus Wolverhampton Wanderers. Tottenham... Uh, you know, going to the Molyneux Stadium, not in the greatest of form. I mean, yes, they did beat Chelsea recently, and that is impressive, but they just lost against Sheffield United away in the FA Cup, which was pretty funny, if you ask me. And then they, because Spurs haven't passed the fifth round, I think, in the FA Cup, in that, I don't know, since the last time what that is, but it's been a long time since they've gotten past that fifth round <laughs> barrier. And uh, again, they go away to another stadium in England, 
uh, this time in the Midlands, uh, Wolverhampton, English, Wolverhampton Wanderers, and they lose one nothing. And again, Spurs were not terrible in this game, but they're still spursing it up. They're still the same Tottenham that we banter and make fun of every single season. First, they kind of rule out the possibility of a trophy this year by losing against um, Sheffield United in midweek, and then they go to want to Wolves, and it just just they just stink up the gaff, and it just makes you laugh. It's like. You know, Spurs, yes, they'll beat Chelsea, and fair enough, they won the game, good for them. But I, I've said it on my podcast episode, you guys can go listen. I say the same thing here. They're still not a good team. Like, I have not been moved by Spurs once this season. I've said this all year long. I don't know what this hype is. I will give Harry Kane his credit. He's been brilliant in this terrible, terrible Spurs team. He still continues to be a shining light for them. But I'm not going to act like this Spurs team is anything significant or special or, you know, really, really eye-catching or or dazzling in their style of football or in their, you know, the way that they, they, they their resilience or persistence to, or eagerness to win. I don't see any of those things. All of those big adjectives, adjectives I just used, they're not synonymous with them. And for Wolves, who actually have quietly been really, really good recently. I know Wolves haven't had the most positive of results in, in recent times, but the fact that Wolves continue to find a way to to kind of get back themselves, get, get themselves back into rhythm. I know they lost against Liverpool 2 nothing, and they drew with Fulham the game before 1-1, and they lost against Bournemouth 1 nothing. But they have this... Wolves have some decent players. And I, I think with this Wolves team, you can see that there's something being built here with Lopetegui, for sure. And he has this mix of Spaniards and Portuguese, obviously, which I think that's very, very obvious, at Portugal FC. Even Craig Dawson and Kilman in this two centre-backs with great leadership there. Jose Sal was the man of the match in this game, and... Overall, the Spurs team, uh, sorry, this Wolves team, they have some really, really serious players, you know, coming into the game and making a difference. I Nuri obviously is a good player. Joao Gomez has been a good signing since in January. Mateus Cunha, Joao Moutinho. The list goes on. They have some good players, man. And when they bring back the injured bunch of, you know, Wangi Chan and Sasa Kalacic, who've been injured since who knows when. Uh, Chiquinho is a good player. The list goes on, man. They have some really, really interesting footballers for sure. And if they get the right combination of lineup and system and and and, and chemistry of players, they could really, really do as much as they, you know, go as high as, I'd say, at least where they're currently there. Currently in 13th, they could go at least as high at mid-table, a 10th in the middle for sure. They're capable of it even higher than that. I think they have some very good players and a good coach, which, again, is what you need in the recipe to succeed. Not, not, not like I'm trying to rap here. My name is not MC Hammer. But, you know, they, they have what, um, the tools to succeed going forward. Uh, the game had a very, very low expected goals. And, I mean, Spurs actually had more of, a, of expected goals in their favor of 1.202. Wolves is 0.52. Spurs missed two big chances, and so did Wolves. They had more possession Spurs. And, actually, I thought that Pedro Porro was actually quite decent. He kind of stood out to me a little bit. He looked like he was threatening the keeper whenever he could. Uh, I mean, Kulisevsky was not wasn't bad either. Had a very good strike save from Jose Sao, who made another really good save for his save his strike as well. Son had some chances as well to score. It wasn't enough. I mean, we know Spurs can shoot, and they have guys who are capable of creating their own opportunities, which has to happen in this very defensive and flat and dead formation and system, which they don't know how to change from, as Expressions always complains about. If you don't know who that is, that's the main Tottenham, you know, personality on YouTube and social media who loves Spurs. Look up expressions oozing, you'll see him. But uh, <laughs> watching him react to the post game was hilarious. He wants Conte sacked. I think Conte will get the sack at the end of the season. I think that's inevitable. Um, I don't think that uh, that he'll stay much longer than beyond this summer. I think that the Spurs team has reached its limit again. And I mean, this thing is, if you, if you want to be with the manager like Conte, you need, he wants to win immediately. He doesn't like long-term building. He's never been known for that. He wants, he takes the squad he has and he looks to build with them and to win with them instantaneously. 
And with the Spurs team, they don't really have the juice or the minerals or the, the facilities for that big man to go on and to win in the same season that Conte came in to take over the last two seasons. Two seasons. Two. Why can't I say that? Two seasons that Conte's come in to take over Spurs. And yes, they have some brilliant pieces in the side with, like I said, the front three, which we know about. Even Hoybier has kind of become a better player and improved. But the Paris of this world is too, you know, a bit past his time. Davies is not a footballer. Longley is not bad, but let's be real. He got shipped off by Marcel alone for a reason. And Christian Romero is a good player, but he's a tough guy merchant. He's a gangster merchant, as we say, tougher than he actually needs to be. Um, and, and then he actually plays as well in terms of ability. But regardless, the Spurs team has a lot to work on, and uh, we'll see what they can do going forward. But yet another season with no trophies, and I mean, for them, that is just hell. Because I think we're reaching 16, 17 years now. It's just it's peak for them. It really is. And when we come back, we'll be looking at another team whose season has also been quite peak. Another London team in Chelsea Football Club once we return. Moving on now, yeah, to Chelsea versus Leeds United. Yes, the Blues winning their first game in what feels like, you know, an absolute eternity and then some, an infinity and eternity, creating a child and making eternity, infernity is what it is. And that's what it was. Chelsea went after infernity, uh, one nothing at home to Leeds United in a very, very, very cagey and very, very, uh, if you're Chelsea fan, you were definitely, you know, you were getting nervous because you're like, hmm, things might get a bit interesting here. Both teams had a one, at least one expected goal in the game. Chelsea's was higher, which has been a trend with Chelsea and Graham Potter, that even if Chelsea do not uh, play well necessarily or score goals, which has obviously been their problem for, for months now, as Liverpool literally scored more goals in the game against United than Chelsea have in the last five or six months, which again, you think of that stat, doesn't make any sense, but it's true. And it shows you, and my point wasn't to, my point of saying that was that Chelsea, despite not scoring many chances, not scoring many goals, have created a terrible amount of chances. And XG has proven and shown just how much they, 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 opportunities they, they conjure up in games on a consistent basis. But there's nobody to put the ball in the back of the net. Now, this is a whole different conversation for a different day. And the episode I said on Dylan Chelsea, it is in the works. And it will be discussing things like this and the fact that we've had number nine issues since I can remember watching this club and supporting them. But uh, there's nobody to put the ball in the back of the net. And Kai Havertz, who I'm going to be real with you, is an absolute fraud meister. He is a serious, serious fraud. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not saying it's to violate no more. I think in a very different, a different team, in a Bayern Munich of this world, even a Manchester City, Kai Havertz would be one of the best players in the world. I genuinely believe that he's talented enough and he has all the skill set to be, you know, a, a dazzling, you know, diamond in the rough type of player. But at this Chelsea team, it's clear now after many seasons, he's not that guy, especially not as a striker. He needs to play off a number nine. But the thing is, we tried doing that before and it didn't really work out that well. We had, I want to go back and see Lautaro Martinez at Inter. Lukaku. And the same thing with, uh, with you know, obviously Aubameyang, who's way past his time now, as much as I love him. Likewise with Werner, who went back to Leipzig and will continue to cook because that's his league. And the same thing with other strikers we've signed in the past. I will not go down the list, but you get the idea. So now that Havertz is the only number nine, and the fact that Armando Broya has also been injured since God knows when, and it will be injured until next season. Um, we've had to rely on this guy, and up front, he doesn't offer anything. He has one on one after one on one every single game, and he misses all those chances on a consistent basis. He's like he wants to miss on purpose, so his, his, his you know his failure comp can be stat padded as more and more for those that don't like him. Because every time he gets in a one on one situation, I'm almost ninety. I'm I'm betting my house that Kai Havertz is going to miss another one on one, even against Dortmund on Tuesday tomorrow. Don't be surprised. And I'm saying this now. I'll come back to this if this is true. He's going to miss yet another one, another one on one. I heard Joao Felix 
think I'm saying that correctly, uh, say that he thinks that uh, uh, he thinks that Kai's going to score tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, in what universe? Unless we get a penalty, that's the only way he's scoring the game. He's not scoring from open play. And in this game, Chelsea actually played fairly well. Uh, I thought Ben Chilwell had the game of his life. He was really, really good in this game. He was everywhere for Chelsea. He thought Kovacic had a good game. Obviously, I won't speak on Enzo Fernandez. You know, I read him highly. I think he's a fantastic footballer. Um, Vesti Fafana obviously was the man of the match in the game, scored the only goal for Chelsea from a really, really well-taken set piece from Chilwell. Like I said, it was everywhere for Chelsea, who obviously he found it with Fafana earlier in the game, and Fafana just put the, bar, put the ball over the bar. And then he finds Fafana again in the second half, and this time Fafana leaps highest to put the ball in the back of net for Chelsea and get Chelsea a priceless win, that which hopefully you'll think that would help them build confidence. But I'm not very confident going into Dortmund. I'm not very stupid. I'm not very stupid. I'm not stupid. I'm, I'm aware of how football works, and I don't think the season's one where Chelsea will get the rubber of the green that they're looking for, even if they do win games ugly or just get that result that gets them potential or what should be confidence. I don't think it's going to happen regularly enough this season. Um, I don't know what this means for Potter's job. Who knows? This could be the last time I say Potter's name in, in the Chelsea context. But uh, I don't know that Dortmund games in end. I'd love it to. Of course, I'm going to see tomorrow what happens. But I'm not, I'm not naive. I know, I've seen Dortmund play the season and they've been better than us, obviously. Mind you, in a much worse league. But they've definitely they've been cooking. You know, we're cooking with every spice you can think of. You know, paprika and, and I don't know, cinnamon and oregano and, and thyme. They've got it all in that pot. And they're cooking right now. And uh, I think it will be an interesting game, definitely. I think Semperbridge will be up for it. I think Chelsea will be up for the match for sure. And I wouldn't put it past Chelsea to do something because I know what my team is capable of. But this is not Chelsea's year for anything, anything whether that's results, whether that's for media, whether that's for PR, whether that's for signings, whether that's for players we should get rid of, whether that's for whatever. It's just not that year. You know, this whole weird new you know, ownership season has just been completely uh, utter write-off, as we keep saying, as I keep saying it over and over again. So. Obviously, it's nice to win. You want to see your team win. Who doesn't? That's why you're, you're a fan. Unless you're not a fan, you want to watch your team lose and you're a sicko. <laughs> but uh, I'm not stupid. And I think I'll keep my, my uh, expectation is very tempered for the, for the game tomorrow, for sure, despite us beating Leeds. Um, in terms of the other games, we'll go to Brighton versus West Ham United next. Brighton, Munich, as I call them that on purpose, because they're literally one of the best teams I've seen in Europe this season. I actually saw someone recently, literally earlier today, wearing a Brighton jersey. I thought that was really cool to see. He looked like a regular, you know, average guy, you know, and he looked like somebody who supports Brighton in, in where I'm, I'm living. It's, it's absolutely insane to see it's people who watch Brighton for sure or know about the team and want to wear the jersey. Maybe it's just because it's, it's stylish and looks nice, but there's no one if you're buying a Brighton jersey unless you know who the team you're wearing is. And if you're wearing Brighton, it's because you know ball. Because Brighton have been brilliant this season. Absolutely sensational. Really, really good football from Brighton all, all year round, all every game long, all day long. Don't matter. Brighton are them. They are the team. They, they are them. And uh, McAllister's goal in 18-minute, great penalty. Then, of course, Joel Beltman getting himself on a score sheet. And again, whenever you see defenders chipping in with goals in the games, I don't know why. I just have a theory of theory. Whenever they score that second or third goal in a match, you're just like, yeah. like Especially the second goal, maybe, too. You just feel like, okay, the game's finished now. And only what's with that... Uh, can't do math right now. Well, 18 minutes later, Mitoma scores in the 69th minute. And again, Mitoma, who's just a different breed, man. He really is. Mitoma's becoming one of the best in the Premier League, in my opinion. Quietly one of the top 10 players this season. He's been extremely, extremely, extremely good. He's in anybody's underrated 11 for the season, for sure. He's been such a, a live spark in the Premier League. Really, really a great, great addition to Brighton's side. And clearly not missing Trussard at all, this team, because they've only gotten better once he's left, which is funny. And of course, that guy Welbs. And when well, Danny Welbeck is scoring against you, like I say about Eddie and Ketia and others, when guys like this score against you in matches, you really, really suck. And you're done and you're doomed. 
when West Ham go from winning 4 nothing against Nottingham Forest to losing 4 nothing against Brighton all in the span of a, of a week, it shows you where West Ham are right now. West Ham actually have a very decent side, and they have some very, very decent pieces in their team, but they just suck. Like, really, really, really suck. Like, they are bad. Really, really, really bad. They have Mr. Diver on the right. He, he puts on his, his you know, his... his uh, Swim cap, he puts on his goggles, puts on his swim trunks, Jared Bowen. You got Danny Ings, who, I mean, he had a great game against Nottingham Forest, but, I mean, that's Nottingham Forest at home. I think most people expect a striker to do somewhat well in that, if your name is Danny Ings and you're a proven Premier League striker. But uh, this born, this Brenda, well, I can't even say their name, this West Ham team, and see how forgettable they are, this West Ham team, they ain't up to nothing. I'll be honest, they're not up to anything. And then you look at Ferguson for Brighton, who was brilliant again. It's just what a well, well, well organized and balanced Brighton side. It really is. They play such brilliant football, slick, consistent, fluid, vertical, attack minded, you know, efficient, um, tactically uh, excellent style of football where they know where to be all the time. This telepathic understanding is just, oh, it's glorious, man. I'm not going to go on about Brighton. Brighton have been brilliant this season. For me, arguably one of the best teams to watch, if not the best team to watch alongside it's Arsenal and Thomas Partey and company. So, We'll move on uh, to Southampton versus Leicester City. Really quickly, Southampton won, Leicester City nil. I thought Leicester should have won this game. It'd be a natural could score a goal. It would have been a different game for Leicester. Madison was absolutely cooking again. Madison had the big pot, big chef uh, spatula in his hand, stirring around the pot, but nothing came of it. No food came onto the plate. It was just empty CO2, nothing else, and maybe a glass of water if you got lucky if you're a Leicester fan. Southampton scoring a very cheeky counter-attacking goal from Alcaraz, who looks pretty good. Uh, from what I've seen, I've, I've really enjoyed, uh, you know, his, his showings for Southampton so far. Southampton seem to be doing some decent recruitment. They've always been known for that. They've been good at recruiting some players. Southampton, some low-key Donnies. Even Salisu Maldini is being scouted by Newcastle. And that tells you everything you need to know about him. Romeo Lavia, I talk about him all the time. Obviously, episode in Southampton will be out very, very shortly. For Leicester City, I mean... They once beat this team 9-0, and they're not going to do that anytime soon. That's for sure. Leicester are not the same side that did that again. And uh, Madison, like I said, is the only bright spot in this Leicester team. He was <laughs> He's such a great player, Madison. Honestly, you remember, I'd love to watch Madison play in real life. But you guys know I had my own fan, fanboy moment where I kind of like drooled over Madison's ability. I think he's such a brilliant footballer and is extremely underrated in the Premier League. Extremely, extremely underrated. He makes that move anywhere near once, one or two steps up, and boom. He's him, you know. He's such a gifted, such a gifted player. Fortunately, unfortunately for him, he's playing around guys who are absolute bums and can't do anything more than maybe you know kick it out for a throw in or for a corner kick. They have some okay guys that have decent form on their day, but nowhere near regular enough for a player of his caliber to be playing alongside and make the Madison, in my opinion. Anyways, well, nothing for there for Southampton. Moving on to Nottingham Forest versus Everton. Now, this was literally WWE on steroids. This was the game that was like rugby, hockey, WWE, and a bit of football, classic Sunday league football, all rolled into one. Nottingham Forest 2, Everton 2 at the city ground. It was such a brawl. This game was just a battle and a half. It just felt fluttered and, and full of, of of heated moments, of, of, of moments of... of uh, frustration and anger and, and ill-discipline and just stupidity almost and just petulance even, juvenile belief and, and, and thought processes from players where they just think, oh, I'm good enough to do this and I'm going to try this and I'm going to get you know mad about something so small and, and insignificant and go and push the opposition and you know get the crowd riled up. It was a game full of everything. One of the maddest games I think I've seen this season by far. It was insane. It was a crazy game of football. Uh, 
for one point, you see, I mean, earlier, Everton actually started the game fairly well. They were deserving of, of going ahead and through, uh, through Damari Gray. And a great penalty from Damari Gray, by the way. He's really got to take in those. One nothing goes, one nothing Everton, and of course, Sean Dyche is super happy. Coaching against many, many former Burnley players. You look at the likes of, of Chris Wood, Quirinio, you know, who else is on Newcastle and Nottingham Forest that plays, they used to play for Burnley. Uh, is anyone else on that? Just Chris Wood. I think it's just Wood that he knows very well from his time at Burnley. But the point is, he's coaching against one of his main Donnies from his former club. And I thought he thought to himself, I'm going to make sure we don't go out, you know, um, huffing and puffing to this team. Although Everton kind of did do that. Because literally nine minutes later, Brennan Johnson, who again, I told everybody at the early at the beginning of the season, he's going to be good. He's a fantastic footballer. I really do believe that. I'm using those words carefully. Yes, I think he's a brilliant, brilliant soccer player. Every time I watch Brennan Johnson, I'm like, hmm, this guy's dangerous, man. He has this, this sneaky, like, lightning abilities. Great move, great movement off the ball. And he's, his ability to beat a man 1v1. And his shooting, by the way, too. He is a clinical finisher. I don't know what it is about this guy. He's so unknown. He's like, so like, he's like the guy you pick last in, in, in you know, your your um, school, whatever, your elementary school soccer game, and you pick him on your team last because you've never heard of him. He's a new kid to, the, to town. You pick him on your team, and he ends up being your best player. That's what it looks like when I'm seeing him here for nothing for us. Nobody knows about this guy. From Wales, you know, not, not the most storied past ever in terms of career. And he comes to, to, to Nottingham Forest, and he's just that guy. He's him. Like I, Every time I watch him play, he's from Lincoln City initially. Yeah, and he goes to nothing for us. And forget the statistic of already scoring, you know, goals on a, you know, on a game-to-game basis. A la Ivan Tony, who we will also touch and get to next, because he's been brilliant this season as well. But this Brennan Johnson guy is different. He's just different. He can play in many, many positions. He's a leader for the team. He scores the most clutch goals when you need him to. Great goals, as you know, at that, especially that second goal. That's just brilliant from Brennan Johnson. My days. Anyways, he makes it one nothing. Brennan Johnson, one one. Sorry, and then we go with Abdullah Dukure making it two one for Everton. And now, when I saw that goal, it just made me laugh. I said Dukure has not scored a goal since what feels like he wore a Watford jersey maybe two or three years ago. And to see him score here for Everton, yes, Everton Football Club for Sean Dyche as the manager. The way the world has just flipped around in the Premier League, especially for this club, is it's, it's again it's absurd. It's 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 unheard of. It's it's, unex- it's unprecedented. It's unexpected. Whatever word you can think of, nobody expected Dukure, Abdullah Dukure, as we call him, C or D Tech Paul Pogba, to be scoring goal away at the City Garden for Everton, mate, in 2023. But that's such is life. Moving on, then, yeah, to the goal that I said for me is easily one of the goals of the weekend, if not the goal of the weekend. For me, it might be my goal of the weekend. I think it is. But this was just such brilliant build-up. The play between Ryan Yates, who just came on, and he came back from a sickness recently, illness recently, and if I'm happy, he was able to shake it off and play. Because I'm not a Yates fan, but if there's anybody to think about when I watch Nothing For Us, it is Yates. I think he's like that that muscle on that team. He's just that, the guy that, that lets you give that bite, that extra bit of emphasis and, and anger and, and, and aggression to, to and purpose to Nothing For Us's game. He's the one that then sets up the chance for Brandon Johnson, who just said, you know what, like, We've not been playing very well for the last 30, 40 minutes of the second half. I don't care anymore. I want us to go on and win this game once and for all. Let's go. Not 30, 40 minutes. Cap. 10, 20 minutes of the second half. Let's go on and really just put the, the dagger, put the nail in the coffin of this team. Is really put the cherry on top and shut up, shut up, shop and end this game. He goes on and makes a 2-2 for Nottingham Forest. With a class, class left-footed finish. This is just, it's so perfect. Pickford, who again, is a really good keeper. He saves most things that go on his goal. Had no chance of saving this. No chance. It was just another very well-taken strike from Brennan Johnson. Making it to do sending the fans into absolute hysteria and, and joy with that finish. And and then at that point, nothing for us took over the game. I thought they had so many other 
you know, half chances to go on and score. I, 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 you know, Andre Ayew coming on making a difference. And Emmanuel Dennis, same thing, coming on making a difference. If one they had one more, one more goal, I thought maybe Chris Wood would have been the one to score, but obviously he came off. But one more goal, you know, would have just put the nail in the coffin for, for nothing for us. But a draw, I think they'll take it given these circumstances. And a very entertaining game of football for anyone. If you watch this game, you know what I'm talking about. You, you know, we wouldn't expect it to be great, but it showed, it had a game. It felt, felt like a cup tie like an FA Cup tie or whatever, EFL Cup tie, with high, high, high stakes attached to the game. But if you lost, you get relegated. If you won, you get promoted and you win the trophy. Like It was just, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy to see. What a game. Such scenes, man. That's Premier League football at its absolute peak. Really, it really was. Uh, but that is the penultimate game. The last game we'll get to in a second right now, which was Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa. Aston Villa won. Crystal Palace, nil. I'm not going to talk about this for very long. One own goal from Joaquin Anderson. I mean, it was scored after Wilfred Zaha had, had thought he'd opened the scoring for Crystal Palace, but the goal was ruled correctly for offside by VAR. Anderson made then conceding an own goal, and that was basically all she wrote. This game had not the highest of XG. I mean, 1.20 for Aston Villa and 0.17 for Palace. Palace had looked like a team that's just devoid of ideas and don't know what they're doing in the Premier League right now. They could get relegated and nobody would miss them at the moment, but it feels like I would miss them. I still love Palace. Of course, they do. One of my favorite teams, but they've just not been that. They've not been those guys. They've not been them. They've not been the ones or the the, the dons, you know, in the Prem, especially not given the talent they have on their side. They've just really been lackluster recently. Of course, once the right card happened to the Kure, the game really, really just ended up being a, a dull fest almost. And Villa were happy to take the one goal and run away with it. And rightfully so, because Villa have also not been great this season. Kind of hit or miss, as I always say. So, that was the, the final verdict on this game. And when we come back in the future, should I say, <laughs> we'll be looking at other stuff in the future, of course, with the Champions League fixtures. I will be mentioning them quietly, kind of doing some. I might do some TikToks on those too. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. But thank you guys and always for listening to the Stephen Talk Soccer podcast. Oh, wait, before I finish, let me give you guys my assist of the week. And it's going to be... It's going to be the Andy Robertson pass to Gakpo. I thought that pass was so delightful. The way he kind of shifts his body, Robertson, to play it on his left foot, which you know he has to do because he's left-footed. Finds the ball to Gakpo and then a channel between, I think, Dallow and... Uh, who was it? Dallow and... Was it Varane? I think it was Varane. And then you can see it finally splitting the defense like that. And then finally, it finds its way to Gakpo. Who, you know in that position. is just so ice cool, so calm, and uh, just you know puts in the back of the net comfortably. That's my assist of the week. But like I said, thank you guys for listening. I'll be back again as always, as like I am every weekend or every Monday rather. And uh, yeah, new episodes coming, you know, Rescue Mission coming soon. Got some more content on the line. But for now, just covering these games as much as I can. And uh, yeah, I guess I'll see you guys in the future. And um, make sure to download and to subscribe to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. Again, it would be massively appreciated. I would love all the love and support you guys have been giving me. And I will speak again very, very shortly. Deuces. Bye-bye. The dawn is out now. Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.